From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Linda Morris. I'm a staff attorney for the ACLU Women's Rights Project and your host for the next few weeks. This week, we'll be talking about something that's on everyone's mind, Ukraine. After weeks of building forces on the border, Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered a full-scale invasion of Ukraine on February 24th, 2022. Since then, the UN has reported that nearly 700 civilians in Ukraine have lost their lives, although the true figures are likely much higher. Over 3 million refugees have fled the country, while more than 2 million Ukrainians have been internally displaced from their homes. There has been an incredible outpouring of support for Ukrainian refugees, with many European countries opening up their borders and setting up systems to process the large influx of refugees. And the Biden administration recently granted Temporary Protected Status, or TPS, against the deportations of Ukrainians living in the United States. At the same time, many immigrants' rights advocates and organizers have pointed out that these same protections and supports have not been extended to refugees and asylum seekers from other majority Black and Brown countries like Cameroon, Ethiopia, and up until very recently, Afghanistan. This contrast has been a startling reflection of the anti-Black racism and white supremacy embedded in our systems. There is no question that Ukrainian refugees must be given access to the protections and supports that they need. And those same protections and supports must be provided to all migrants, to all people who are fleeing dangerous conditions, regardless of their race, their religion, their language, or their nationality. Joining us today to talk about these disparities how they came to be and their impact is Omar Jadwat, director of the ACLU Immigrants' Rights Project. Along with Omar, we are delighted to be joined by Daniel Tay, who founded the Cameroon Advocacy Network and who works for the Haitian Bridge Alliance and leads the Black Immigrants' Bail Fund. Daniel also has firsthand experience with the asylum system, having come to the United States from Cameroon as a refugee and having spent one year in ICE detention before finally gaining asylum. Daniel and Omar, welcome to At Liberty, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Linda. So let's begin by talking about what's happening in Ukraine. The UN Refugee Agency has said that this could become Europe's largest refugee crisis in this century. Omar, can you tell us a little bit about what this refugee crisis looks like and what the response has been from the media and from other countries? I don't think there's any dispute that what's happening in Ukraine is just a massive, massive humanitarian crisis and, and challenge. And it's a place, as with other places elsewhere in the world, where you want to see uh, the international community applying the lessons they learned after World War II and providing protection to people who desperately need it. And, um, you know, I think as usual, as we've seen elsewhere, the countries that bear the largest burden um, in a situation like this are the countries that are nearest to the place where the conflict is happening. I think that's a fact that when we sit in the U.S. or other places that are, you know, more removed, it's easy to lose sight of that. But, you know, whether you're talking about Syria, Central America, it really is those those neighboring countries that do the bulk of the work um, in providing first-line safety to refugees. Um, 
So the way the system is supposed to work is that if you are fleeing persecution or torture, that you can receive protection from other countries. That's a basic principle of humanitarian law. It's a principle that almost all countries, including the U.S., have subscribed to. Um, and it's one that I think in many ways, you know, we're seeing put into practice with respect to Ukrainian refugees today. I, I'm sure that there are problems um, that people are facing, and I don't want to gloss over that those might exist. But for the most part, you know, you see countries stepping up and saying, we're going to help. And that is, you know, sadly something we don't see in every in every instance where people are needing the sort of protection. And we don't see it, you know, even though these countries have signed on to that principle in a non-discriminatory and broadly applicable way. So as you said, Omar, the response to the crisis in Ukraine and, and to many of the Ukrainian refugees has been largely very supportive and the exact type of response that we hope to see for anyone who is fleeing dangerous conditions or fleeing violence. At the same time, the media coverage has revealed a lot of bias um, and some racist ideas have come up about who is deserving of support and who is deserving of protection. The Bulgarian prime minister described Ukrainian refugees as, quote unquote, intelligent and educated people and said, these are not the refugees we are used to. These people are Europeans. And then there's been other coverage that has been much more explicit. So in one interview, for example, a former Ukrainian official said that the current crisis in Ukraine was emotional for him because he saw, quote unquote, European people with blonde hair and blue eyes being killed every day with Putin's missiles. And again, this doesn't take away at all by the actual humanitarian crisis that's happening in Ukraine. But I did want to ask you both, what do you make of this coverage and how does it contrast with some of the coverage that we've seen um, about other humanitarian crises and especially about black and brown migrants? I'm going to say that, you know, what just happened recently is the veil has been broken and now the world cannot see what has always been happening, especially in the immigration system. Black-led orgs like the Haitian Bridge Alliance uh, have been singing about these situations for years now and calling out, you know, the anti-blackness and anti-Africanness in um, the immigration system, in the war at large. And uh, people have tend to be playing, you know, uh, deaf ears to these situations. And yet we've seen how deeply rooted this idea is in the mindset of people across the world. Um, listening to those statements, um, Linda, when you know, the, the Prime Minister and others were making, I was like, wow, really? Um, so it's, it's, it's a bigger problem than we think it is. And it's very, very rooted in the system. So I'm happy that, you know, situations like these um, have been able to, you know, expose for the whole world to see and recognize this is what's actually going on in people's minds. Um, but again, it is a bigger question of, you know, how do we address this anti-Africanness, anti-Blackness um, in the immigration system, um, the continuous you know, discrimination towards Black people that exist in the world at large. I want to, to ask you a little bit more about this, about the veil being broken and really this, this type of bias and anti-Blackness being really revealed to everyone in this very visible way. 
What is the impact of this kind of biased media coverage on the types of support and protections that have been made available to Black and brown migrants? Thank you again, Linda. I think the first thing is that it erases, um, you know, the experiences of Black immigrants and Black black and brown immigrants, like you said. Um, So um, this biased media coverage stems through not just immigration, but even around covering these conflicts as well. And I'm going to expose us a very little secret here. It's a very popular news outlet, which I'm not going to give the name, but they had an article that they were supposed to write about Cameroon and what's happening. And uh, because Ukraine happened, they said, okay, your article is going to have to be pushed back a couple of weeks for us to cover on Ukraine. So the lives, again, we are in solidarity. We understand um the intensity of what's happening in Ukraine right now. But I think it's the same intensity that's happening elsewhere around the world. So I think there should be some form of universal attention by the media when it comes to addressing um, situations around the world, especially around violence, um, migration, um, all these instances that affects you know, humanity, um, especially like human rights crisis, like some, some wars and conflicts. I think I can say that Cameroon, and the conflict that's going to come right now, it's one of the most neglected human rights crises in the world. So the bias of the media is really, 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 really outrageous. And and maybe I could just add an observation, which is that it's like a double-layered problem in that, you know, you can't even get the media maybe to cover these conflicts in a lot of the world. But then if they do, that's all they cover from those countries, right? There's like this kind of, I think, easy shorthand that people get into. Oh, these are, you know, that's just the way the world is. That's just the way that part of the world is. But that's obviously not true, right? Cameroon or Afghanistan, the narrative that we get um, in the mainstream media is when it happens at all, it's about crisis, not about people, you know, living lives and building things and having, you know, joy. And therefore, you know, People don't only under not know what people are fleeing, they don't know what they've lost when they are fleeing. They don't know the way that daily lives are disrupted. Flourishing and prosperous lives are disrupted. And so the way that people's perceptions are shaped is definitely one aspect that adds to this problem. I think that's absolutely true. And the problem with the biased media coverage is not just the erasure of the violence and the real crises that we're seeing, but it's also the erasure of the joy and the human experience and their humanity that I think is is really foundational to the disparities that we've been talking about. So earlier I mentioned that the U.S. government granted temporary protected status, or TPS, to Ukrainians living in the U.S. on March 3rd, and this was just about one week after Russian forces first invaded Ukraine. Daniel, you have been such a vocal and fierce advocate through your work and have been advocating for TPS for Cameroonians in particular for a very long time. And the Biden administration obviously has failed to take action for Cameroonians. Could you talk to us a little bit more about what temporary protected status means and why it's so important for Cameroonians in this moment? I'm going to begin, first of all, by saying that we are very happy for um, Ukraine and again, recently, Afghanistan. Um, for the designation of temporary protected status for these both countries. Um, they deserve to be protected. So to go back to the top of the question, um, TPS, uh, what is it? 
you know, it's TPS um, stands for Temporary Protected Status, which is a statutory, um, um, you know, protection given to nationals of a certain country um, who are currently living in the United States, um, you know, if conditions in their home country uh, prevent a safe return or that makes safe return impossible. So the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security may designate a country for, you know, temporary protected status if the conditions in that country meet the, the requirements or the elements, which is, you know, either um, a natural disaster or an extraordinary temporary conditions that prevent safe return. These conditions pose a serious threat to the, the personal safety and lives of these individuals who are here in the United States. Um, conditions could be war, um, natural disasters and other things, um, you know, that could be in that statute, that statute. What are we still waiting for to provide TPS for, you know, Cameroon now? Why should we provide TPS for Cameroon? Um, why should, you know, that same protection that was extended to um, Afghanistan and uh, Ukraine also be extended to Cameroon? We have been advocating for TPS for Cameroon for over five years now, intensively. Some parts of the society already have humanity validated for them and other parts of, you know, you know, the world have to beg, other parts of the world being black immigrants and black minority countries have to beg for that humanity to be given to them. Cameroon should qualify for temporary protected status because um, Cameroon is currently going through several deadly armed conflicts that has been going on for decades now, but recently for the past five years, very intensively. We have, you know, a political and human rights crisis that's happening in the Anglophone Northwest and Southwest regions of Cameroon. And uh, this conflict itself has caused, you know, over a million people to be displaced. Um, more than, you know, 5,000 lives have been lost. And so this conflict alone has caused so much destruction in the country with civilians lo losing their lives, burning down of villages, burning down of schools, um, attacks on schools. Kids have been shut down, uh, have been shot dead. We recently, we saw the killing of, you know, students at the Ekondo Titi um, High School. We saw the killing of students at um, the Kumba, which, which we call the Kumba Massacre of young children. In the far north, we have intercommunal violence. Um, in addition to that, we also have, you know, the Boko Haram crisis in the far north of Cameroon. Uh, we also have government repression of political opposition and dissent. We saw that recently with the um, um, last presidential elections where the opposition party leader was arrested and detained and again recently put under house arrest. So um, various other crises such as government security forces um, using torture and economic detention to crack down on people who are openly speaking up or lobbying against the government. Um, we have, you know, targeted violence most recently towards women, children and LGBTQ community members. I hope that gives a clear picture of, you know, the several other conflicts um, that are happening in Cameroon right now. Thank you, Daniel, for sharing all of that. And it's devastating to hear all of that and know that that's been happening for years now without any sort of action from the Biden administration to grant TPS to Cameroonians who are living in this country. What are the risks and threats that are facing Cameroonians if they are deported? So we have a recent Human Rights Watch report um, that outlines the various human gross human rights violations that happened to um, individuals that were deported. So these individuals faced various human rights violations, which ranges from incommunicado detention, um, torture, 
rape threats. Their identification cards were taken away by the government. Um, most of them are still in detention as we speak today. Some of them have not been heard of because we don't know where they are. We don't know if they are even still alive. Uh, most of them are hiding in the bushes. And some of them have even reflect Cameroon because it's still very, very unsafe for them. And I want to highlight that, you know, deporting Cameroonians who are already in the United States breaks President Biden's campaign promises and immigration blueprint that he put out, you know, in order to keep families together. A value, you know, of core in, you know, the blueprint was to manage migration and fix our broken immigration system. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be sending people back to danger. I think that breaks even our, you know, non-revolvement policy, not to send people back to areas of threat and uh, where they're going to face um, human rights violations. Yeah, and I, I just want to underline the question, right, for TPS is, are you going to deport people, put them in harm's way who otherwise would be living here in the United States? It's a different question or a simpler question than, you know, how do you deal with a large refugee population that wants to come to the United States. These are people who are here, you know, who might be subject to deportation because they overstayed a visa because they didn't want to go back, you know, into that situation. Is it going to be the the policy of the United States that that we're going to ignore the facts on the ground and the threats that people are subject to? Shouldn't be that hard a question. Shouldn't be a hard question at all. Absolutely. It Seems pretty easy from my point of view. And, you know, I think zooming out a little bit, I wanted to ask you both, really, have we seen the U.S. government grant TPS in biased ways in the past? Or are there other policies that the U.S. government has implemented in ways that disproportionately harm Black migrants? I've been thinking about what Haitian migrants in particular have been going through, and I'd love to hear if there are other examples of policies that we need to keep in mind as we're having this conversation. Sure, Linda. We have the Title 42. I think that's, you know, one of the policies recently that we've seen how, how you know, the administration has used to actually just manipulate, you know, um, accepting to provide refuge for individuals. Their policies and their practices in the system that really, really affects immigrants. And I'm going to say that because these policies affect immigrants, it affects Black immigrants twice as more. And we have, in the system, we have um, bail bond disparity. Um, I'm the coordinator for the Black Immigrants Bail Fund, and I can tell you that Black immigrants receive, you know, bail bonds 70% higher than other immigrants, for example. So if... You know, two immigrants and one of them is from, you know, a black country and one of them is from, you know, non-black country. They present themselves to get a bond in a certain institution's detention. Um, they're going to receive a $50,000 bond or a $100,000 bond while the other migrants receive, um, you know, $1,500 bond or $2,500 or five, at most five ten thousand. $10,000. So these are, again, practices in the system that highlights discrimination. We have higher denial rates for black immigrants because, of course, um, the obvious, you know, criminalizing um, Black people, which is, again, something that's rooted in our system. We have, you know, 210 flights um, as of in a single year that have been sent to Haiti, Haiti recently. We saw what happened um, at Derio with individuals at our doorstep seeking for refuge and asking for an opportunity to have a chance to survive, to live in safety. Uh, these are very sensitive issues, but I think it's good for our audience to understand that America has the capacity to provide these uh, protection for these individuals. But 
instead of, you know, accepting these individuals, they use another practice of bundling them up in 210 flights as of today and sending them back to Haiti. These practices and policies um, are both playing a very, very, um, you know, high impact in, you know, preventing immigrants from seeking safety and refuge. And again, playing twice as much on Black immigrants. And maybe just to build on something Daniel said when he mentioned Title 42. So this is the policy that the Trump administration pushed on the CDC, required them basically over their own objections to to issue as a way to shut down the asylum system, right? And that Biden has continued um, in office. You know, under Title 42, as it's written now, if you're a Ukrainian you know, individual or family that comes to the border, you're subject to that policy. You can be turned around and sent away immediately. And that's, in fact, what happens to people from other countries, right, who come here, even if they have reams of evidence supporting their asylum claim, that it's unquestionable that they would be subject to persecution in their home countries. It doesn't matter. They don't even get to say what their claim is uh, in the United States. Applied the same way, uh, it would be a real bar to Ukrainians who, again, managed to make it here um, and seek asylum. So DHS, they sent a memo to all the CBP officials on the border reminding them that on a case-by-case basis, they can exempt Ukrainians from Title 42, right? And DHS's, you know, explanation is, hey, we're just reminding you, you know, you can treat them the same as everybody else. Everybody has a right to be considered for a safe, you know, a case-by-case exemption. I'm pretty sure they didn't send the same memo to remind CBP officials when they were processing people who were coming from, you know, to Del Rio about their authority to exempt people on a humanitarian basis from Title 42, Right. I mean, what this illustrates is that the policy shouldn't be there at all. That denying people any opportunity to seek protection on the basis of a bogus public health justification is the wrong thing to do. It just underlines why that policy should have ended a long time ago. It's unfortunately not hard to find examples of this, you know, discriminatory treatment. Yeah, and I think... That comes back to what we were talking about in the beginning is that these protections and these supports need to be available to all migrants who are seeking assistance and who are coming to the border. And it can't be limited because of someone's race, because of their nationality, because of their religion or any other reason. You know, I want to step back. We've been talking a lot about these systemic issues um, in the immigration system and a lot of the inherent biases that we've seen. I want to um, pose a question that's hopefully a little bit hopeful. And I would love to hear from both of you and maybe Daniel first, if you could talk about what your vision of justice and what your hope for migrants and all people seeking asylum would be. We should treat all people with respect and dignity. Um, that's a fundamental um, aspect of it. We all have humanity in us. We should end Title 42. We should end and stop the deportation flight. We should grant humanitarian power to these individuals who have been unjustly um, deported without being given a chance to seek safety or even lay their claims. We should review um, you know, all immigration laws to ensure that you know, there are no loopholes in immigration laws where there's going to be a chance for people to um, be able to exercise this discrimination or a chance to you know, just 
outrightly um, denied protection for individuals. And so there should be no bias in the immigration laws, uh, if I should say. We should, should review some of these decisions um, of the immigration judges since most of them were, you know, appointed by the previous administration. And we know how biased they could be. And, and most urgently, and I can't stop without saying this, is the grant of temporary protected status to Cameroon, to Mauritania, um, to Ethiopia, because we all have to, you know, give a universal protection for everybody. If there was a quick, you know, response in granting protection to Ukraine and Afghanistan uh, because of the crisis they're going through, I think there should be that same protection to protect Cameroonians who are already here in the United States with asylum seekers and are seeking for that same protection. Thank you, Daniel. And Omar, I wanted to ask you the same question, especially um, as the person who is leading the ACLU's immigrants' rights work, as far as what is the ACLU's vision for immigrant justice? I mean, I, you know, I would echo everything Daniel said. At a bare minimum, what we need to do is abide by the laws we already have. Um, And, um, you know, there's a million ways in which those laws could be better. We're in a situation now where we're not even doing what we said we were going to do, right? We've just, you know, thrown a whole bunch of our laws in the garbage, essentially. There's a very clear and strong right to seek asylum protections and other humanitarian protections that are in our law already um, that are just, just being bypassed right now. So that's a place to start, right? Is, is do what it says on the can. Again, without getting into a lot of like policy details, you know, what we want to see doesn't strike me as such a big ask is for our country to not just live by the laws that it's written, but also live by the principles that it's espoused, right? And there's a reason, you know, there's a reason that we decided as a country that we were going to offer safety to people. It's, you know, in large part because of searing regret for what we didn't do for people who are fleeing World War II, right? If we can kind of really live by that principle that the ship shouldn't be turned around, right, and sent back to the Nazis, that people should be able to kind of find safety here, I think that would get us a long way down the road. I think that's a that's actually a principle that Americans believe in and that given the opportunity uh, to see it lived again, they'd be very happy to. And in fact, that's one of the things that President Biden ran on was that he was going to bring that back um, and better even, right? (laughs) Um, I think getting past this paralysis, this fear um, that I think drives a lot of what the government's doing now is the step we need to see. And I think they take that step and they do it with real leadership. They'll see that the sky has not fallen. As we wind down, let's talk about what people can do. Daniel, I wanted to ask you, what can our listeners do to fight in solidarity with Black migrants and to support the work of the Cameroon Advocacy Network and the Haitian Bridge Alliance? Thank you so much, Linda. So the first thing, our first ask I'd like to put out here today, um, especially towards TPS or Temporary Protected Status for Cameroon, is to have our audiences, um, our listeners and, you know, supporters to call on your members of Congress um, to urge them to understand that 
you know, there is an urgency for them to provide this temporary protected status for Cameroonians and other um, countries immediately, um, you know, because we we see how they could easily uh, grant for the other countries, not because it was easy, but because those countries deserve, I think, Cameroon deserve as well. You know, urge them to understand that immigration is a Black issue as well, and Black lives need to be protected as well. Black immigrants' lives need to be protected. And, uh, you know, they can also reach out to the White House directly to ask the White House to recognize um, the issues that Black immigrants are facing. Uh, we have our websites that are up and running. We have the Black Immigrants Bail Fund, which assists... Um, Black immigrants to pay their bonds. And so we do need support, volunteers. People can go on there and donate to assist Black immigrants, Cameroonians who are still in detention. And that will help, you know, re- release them so they could join and reunite with their families. We also have the Cameroon Advocacy Network.org website and where people can go on there to take action. Um, again, by calling their members of Congress, calling down the White House and to speak about these issues, to share um, to the world at large what the media is failing to do. Um, to provide that education that, you know, immigration is a Black issue and people deserve to be protected universally. Thank you so much, Daniel, for all of the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. And thank you also, Omar, for being here and for all of your incredible work. Thanks. Um, It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate your feedback. Until next week, take care and be kind to each other.